0: To the scene it's a few days before christmas sub-zero temperatures harsh winds you're hungry you're tired you're dragging all your belongings behind you uh, i'm not talking about the latest train cancellation at Leeds station uh, but of course the epic adventure undertaken by our guest today when he followed in the footsteps of scott and abinson and trekked on foot unaided to the geographic south pole With follow-up expeditions to both the Geographic North Pole and Everest Base Camp, and as well as a published book, we are very, very excited to welcome Paul Vickery to join us today to discuss how preparation, resilience and learning through setbacks helped him achieve some incredible feats both on and off the ice. So welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us at Victus On Air. Great
1: to be here. Thank you.
0: So um, let's start today by telling us a bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about your background.
1: Okay. I was kind of born into the military at the age of 16, Um, did 35 years, uh, my latter 22 years with the Special Forces, um, been to all the nice places.
0: Such as?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can't can't name them. Um, And yeah, I looked the enemy in the eye, um, being faced with the environments, Had some great opportunities, got some great transferable skills, which I'm now using out in civilian street, I would say, Mm. in my second career. And that's where I am now. So I'm delivering and trying to help people reach their goals as well. So that's me.
0: And obviously, in between your military career and what you're doing right now, you did some epic adventures that I hinted at in our introduction. So do you want to tell me more about those?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I trekked Unsupported, uh, led by Henry Worsley. Um, two teams, as you mentioned, uh, in the footsteps of Captain Scott, quite literally, mm-hmm. uh, which was an amazing uh, experience, you know. Like I said, I've I've, I've spent some time in the military, Done some pretty gnarly things, um, hardcore things as such, and uh, but nothing quite prepared me for the Antarctica. You know, it's the harshest environment in the world, coldest, um, windiest, driest, believe it or not. Uh, and it was pretty ninja. So it's arguably one of the hardest things I've done in my life is the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the back of that, um, I created an opportunity for myself and the team to go and do the North Pole to get to the geographic North Pole. Uh, And that was another story in itself, which didn't quite go to plan. Uh, Yeah.
2: Well, looking at the, or speaking about the North Pole adventure, can you tell us uh, what you mean when you say it didn't go to plan?
1: It's good to have a plan, isn't it? You know, uh, coming from the military, you know, you should always have some form of plan. Um, Whether it works when you're faced with the enemy, you've got to work around it. And unlike the South Pole, which was a great success, but that that was hard to get there in time, and we achieved that, you know, but the the North Pole didn't go to plan because of the climate. Um, this was back in 2016, and yeah. it's quite scary when we were there, and it's even scarier now, I would say, um, the whole climate side of things. Um, but and then we were working with the Russians, uh, with our they were our logistics company and stuff like that, and what to kind of believe and go with and understand and, and make things work and things didn't work because of the environment and because of what we were being told and things. So we had to work around things from plan A through to plan D uh, in the end. Um, and it all came down with a mission statement. Our mission statement was to document what we saw on ice. Um, and we managed to do that, although not quite as planned. And I think it's important to have a, have a always have a plan.
2: So you mean documenting the environment and uh, you know kind of things that you experienced and witnessed? Yeah I mean coming in using
1: military analogy you know we were kind of three guys kind of parachuted in but we went in by helicopter um, to do a battle damage assessment really yeah. of the environment and we went in and we witnessed it was pretty scary you know it's something like a Indiana Jones Temple of Doom kind of, kind of scene with whizzing ice blocks and jumping on and off and it's all melting and it it was pretty pretty scary really. Um so and we just came back to record that, you know, and through documenting through my book. Uh and also, you know, we got some film footage as well, which we're trying to pull together to to tell the world this is this is what's happening. But it's a it's a bit late now, you know, what we're being faced with, but it's still important to get the message across. I mean, I'm not a climate activist as as such, but I'm I'm
2: very passionate about what we've seen and witnessed. And it scared us all, all three of us, I would say. So you you described a thirty five year career in the military, um, including these adventures in uh, probably thirty seconds, hmm. uh, which is probably sort of uh, brushing over the sheer volume of content and kind of um, you know commitment and experience that you've had. Um, I'm interested in your take on what is the kind of or what are the key ingredients that have allowed you to achieve so much in that space of time um and yeah um kind of how you manage to yeah get the best out of your career it's hard work you know and it's it's hard for everyone trying to
1: juggle a busy life you know work-life balance and sometimes you're going to make commitments and you've got to be determined um and step forward and put yourself in the arena. I could have been quite comfortable remaining in my career in, in the infantry, um, but I put myself in the arena as a volunteer to go for um, special forces. Um, and I was, with hard work and determination and everything else that is inside me, it drove me and luckily I was, you know, there's luck as well, uh, I was successful, you know? Uh, and that I think that drive and determination and self-motivation as well as everything, don't let things put you off um, and, and we're being buffeted by so much stuff at the moment and it's quite easy to sit back and stay in our comfort zone, but sometimes you can push yourself further, a lot further than what you you know, realise to be honest. And I think I've built these layers up um, through my childhood. Um, I call them kind of layers of Kevlar as such, you know, mm-hmm. body armour, uh, to build and protect me. Uh, for what I'm faced with so even though I I don't maybe look like this big physical Arnold Schwarzenegger but it's what's below the iceberg the determination the psychological piece is probably one of the most powerful weapons we can have to get through the stresses of life and that's what's driven me to to step forward yeah
0: what kind of internal and external motivations do you have for kind of putting yourself forward for these challenges? Is it your family? Is it your background? Is it things you've faced in your career that, you know, kind of is forcing you forward to doing these new things?
1: It's a really good question, to be honest. I think, I've got, you know, I've always wanted to join the military from, from, from when I was a little child, to be honest. It was always inside me. So that drive, I, I think it's in my bloodline. As a family, and it's driven me, I've got you know, relations, you know, grandfathers and stuff, um, and, and that's part of it that's driven me, and I always wanted, always knew my direction, so I was lucky in that aspect, and that's always motivated me and kept me in the right direction where I want to go. Um, motivating, I mean, I don't think my family, um, I've been a bit selfish, and sometimes you have to be selfish and cool to be kind, but... You know, I'm paying back now, and it's a bit of a mutual thing, you know, between me and my partner and and children, and it's it's sometimes it's a bit of a balance, you know, and, and juggle and talking about it and and getting an understanding from both sides. Um, the family is a difficult one, you know, to juggle in between going on these crazy expeditions, juggling time in, you know special forces. It's it's, it's not easy to um, to juggle work life, yeah. um, but motivating. I think it comes from inside, you know, and the fear of failure is a, is a big one for me um, using it in a positive way um, where people are feared to step forward. I use it as a more of a motivator to not let people or let things, you know, put put me down and just drive myself forward. So there's a whole reasons why i yeah, don't let the family down don't let the charities down uh, if i'm doing expeditions don't let the patron down don't let the the regiment down or whoever you know so these things motivators and, and and the self-motivating and then you've got the challenge piece i suppose on top of that which is you know so you don't want to let yourself down so there's a whole host of that with having your own values and ethos
2: as well as maybe the organization values and ethos to drive you forward do you find either of those two things kind of more important than the other you know the kind of personal sort of reasons for doing these things and then those external reasons when things are difficult and you're kind of looking for something to call on to motivate yourself Mm. Um, do you find the personal or um, those like i say external motivators more motivating
1: i think they both work together but if you're working as a team you know, as an organization, if you've got yeah. strong values and ethos, which you have from, for example, you know, the regiment, uh, you know, the unrelenting pursuit of excellence, high standards of discipline, uh, humility, humor, and those those things to, to bond us, then, then that keeps us together and drivers. And if you've got mottos, uh, uh, mantras, things like that, you know. And you don't want to let the side down, you know, so there's peer pressure that can drive you to do some amazing, great things if you've got strong ethos and values, as well as then having your own values and ethos. And through some of my coaching, what I do is I, I ask people, what, what are your values? You know, and we sh- I think we should all have values and we should all have our own motto. My motto um, is to do the best I can in everything I can do with what resources I've got available to me in brackets. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I try and do the best I can. You know and with what time i've got to the best of my ability Uh, and i think we should all have a motto all our values and ethos uh, to drive us to do things
2: yeah yeah so the team aspect is clearly really important to that and it's kind of uh, from what you're saying it doesn't sound like the focus is just you know you um or you know me within a particular context Having those shared values and, yeah, working together towards collective aims is kind of really beneficial and makes these experiences really positive. It's a strong bond.
1: You know, I mean, it's it's like I said, it's what's below the iceberg that drives you. And if you've got strong values and ethos and you all believe as a, as a team uh, this cohesion, it, it can really, you don't have to wear fancy mottos or... Cap badges or anything you don't have to have any of that it's what's below what's being invested inside you and what you strongly believe in can drive you and i think that's that's powerful stuff if organizations can capture that it's a huge success i i I think and you all believe in it yeah it's powerful
0: have you got any examples from any of your expeditions where that kind of teamwork aspect and not wanting to let your colleagues down has really pushed you through a hard time
1: yeah i've got numerous examples but for example at the south pole I mean we were on our last legs you know on a daily absolutely exhausted um physically mentally sapped pulling a poke our sledges 160 kg um and at the end of the day when we've come to the end we would look at each other and we'd say let's do and we tap our ski poles together and say let's do one for the queen and we we do an extra kilometer for the queen you know and that's just a bond to say, come on, we can. You can still, even though we're absolutely exhausted, we can still do an extra kilometer at least for the queen, mm. and that motivated just to do an extra kilometer at the end of the day. We knew it was coming, and we and we do it, uh, and then we'd use mottos and mantras. You know, let's go always a little further, and that just pushes you. You know, using some mantras and mottos to keep us going. You know, and we'd have a laugh. Humor, you know, humor is is, is a key thing. Um, to get especially in those dark times when we were in pretty horrible weather stuck in a tent three guys in the middle of nowhere you know twice the size of Australia as such in Antarctica um, it's it's not easy you know and you've got to keep your morale going and you have moments of of yeah some down days some blue days and you've got to keep each other going Mm
2: -hmm. can you describe the uh, your experience of kind of landing in antarctica and you know kind of your first yeah. sort of interaction with the place because it's sort of clearly a very unique mm-hmm. oh, that's amazing
1: uh i mean we landed to get there you know the whole journey to get to the start line is can be an epic sometimes uh, in particular for the north pole you know but once we got we knew as a team once we landed and we started at captain scott's hut and that for me was the best campsite in the whole world ever um, to be beside such a remarkable, you know, impressive hut, mm. um, and we camped there, ready to start. Uh, it was amazing. It was like Christmas. I wrote my diary, actually. This is like Christmas Day t- for me. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it was just in the footsteps of Captain Scott. And yeah, it was all very spiritual as well, as well as hugely physical and mental. I mean... Once we landed, it was quite flat. But once we got around the corner, it changed into an undulating nightmare and messed with crevasses, rifts, and climbing ten thousand feet. And we we didn't know what to expect. And coming from our backgrounds, I think we all thought that we could set our compass on south, uh, and the way will be there. But it wasn't. It didn't end up like that. It was it was pretty pretty ninja. Yeah.
2: How do you or how did you um, approach your sort of the interaction with the environment in terms of the physical mental challenge? Did you regard it as a battle with the place or did you try to find a different way?
1: It's really interesting um, because I've, I've trained in every single environment, you know, from deserts to jungles to the Arctic. I kind of, for some reason, seem to be steered towards the cold. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the enemy is the environment and it is actually, quite now, you know, there's a climate crisis happening and we're quite fragile and you've got to be prepared and being prepared for those environments, you know, especially in Antarctica where it's the coldest place and windiest place on earth, you've got to be prepared and nothing quite prepares you. When you step off that plane um, in Antarctica, those who've been there know what I'm talking about. You have Antarctic shock uh, and the the cold of minus 40 hits you and it's a blast of, whoa, this is cold, this is serious. Um, and you need to be, you know, covered up, gloves, boots, all protected fully, you know, for that environment. However, you can, you know, you become acclimatized, you adjust your clothing, and we went when we started on the, the Weddell Sea. When our start point where Scott's Hut was it was quite hot believe it or not um
0: what's quite hot in Antarctic <laughs> uh, <laughs> context. We actually got to my min-
1: I mean minus one uh, through to minus 20 or uh, minus 30 on average balmy uh, yeah and then you know on the plateau went to like minus 40 wow. with wind chill know, minus 50 maybe yeah you know I mean so but you you've gotta really cover yourself up mm. I mean little any little bit of wind that gets through you, you've got problems you know and it can create obviously frostbite frostnip and i had problems with my hands so i was lucky i got a little bit of my face a little bit of a scarf and where i didn't cover up you know and it's not clever to go out it's just bad admin really people come back losing fingers and thumbs and to be honest it's it's there's reasons sometimes behind it but it's not good admin and you, your admin out there has to be the best it can be because all it takes is you take your glove off and it blows away. You go to the toilet, your toilet paper blows away, and you soon pick up on these things. And you've gotta be so, you know, anyone, anyone like from the military, Marines working in, they know what I'm talking about here is looking after your kit and admin
2: is, it's gotta be really, really good. Yeah. Did you ever have um, on these expeditions kind of bad days um, you know from mentally speaking and in terms of kind of do you have doubts creeping in and you mentioned being able to refer to those sort of motivators but is there anything that you do that you think helps you realize when you're in a kind of bad space and that, that you're then able to say okay right I need to pick myself mm-hmm. up and you know get myself into a better frame of mind
1: yeah I mean w- regardless of who we are um You know, I'm just a normal person and we all have our bad days and sad days. And, uh, you know, especially on expeditions, it's it's it can be exhausting and being exhausted physically can affect you mentally, you know, and and a month in stuck in a tent with two other guys. You know, uh, we had a satellite phone, but we'd be quite uh, restricted on when we'd call, for example, um, because, you know, that if you call your loved ones, it it could affect you emotionally. So um, but. I think I had one instance where I spoke to my loved one and, and it created quite a lot of emotions, a, a blue time, and you're in a tent with two other guys and you're trying not to show any sign of weakness, you know, um, but yeah, we were all affected and the other guys had moments as well. Um, it's normal, um, but I think working as a team and understanding that and picking each other up and we had moments where we wouldn't admit it was tough you know and i think sometimes to admit it's tough is is co- it takes a bit of courage mm-hmm. especially with a with an organisation maybe like that and we were in a tent i remember it was a really really tough day i wrote my diary this is a tough day and the next day this is an even tougher day and then <laughs> the, you get the idea mm-hmm. yeah and uh, we sat in the tent and the guy looked at me and he said vic did you find that tough and i told him yeah that was a hard one mm-hmm. and he just needed to hear that you know and I, I think that's sometimes, and he just went, oh, I'm glad because that was a hard one, you know. And sometimes just realising your strengths and weaknesses and, and getting each other over the start line, over the finish line as, as a team is so important. Um, using motivators, you know, it's the bit below the iceberg, like I said, that that is hidden um, to get us through things, ways of coping um, with, with things such as, um, you know, I had music, I had one iPod in the South Pole. I soon realised I wanted more. When I had three in the North Pole, <laughs> what because... were what you we listening to? Ah, yeah, I had a, well, I had an eclectic mix actually, in the um, a whole mix of different music, from old stuff to new stuff, and uh, stuff which I realised. In the North Pole, that's what I wanted, you know, and I missed. I had 534 songs, funny do I know that, <laughs> um, in the South Pole, and I knew every single kind of one of those songs. And when it came on, it kind of, or I'd fast forward, but I'd only have so much limited battery life, and I was so gutted at the end, I mean, because it would tell you half an hour out that it's running out of power. Mm. Um, and and I thought, oh, no, I've got half an hour left. and But certain songs on there kind of motivate me or not, you know, um, I had a bit of a mix, really, from from The Eagles, believe it or not, to E.L.O., to um, Johnny Cash, um, and then War of the Worlds, um, these type of things, just a whole variety of different things, you know, um, to, just to keep me going. Some 80s, you know, that's kind of not my Not just era.
0: exclusively songs about warm things.
1: No, no, <laughs> and that's the good thing. So that music has really helped me, um, but also it's funny you say that because I used... When I was in a very cold place, I would take my mind to warmer places like Mm -hmm. so I got married in St. Lucia and I'd I'd go to nice warmer climes, a bit like Captain Scott writes in his diary, actually, about when his mind was in a very dark place, he'd think of pleasanter times. And uh, that's kind of so there's not black art. This isn't a black, but it's a very powerful way of switching from a cold place to a warm place in your mind. And also, as I'm walking, I've got my dog beside me. Obviously, not in real life, but my Vizsla Bentley was a dog, and he'd be beside me and keep me company, you know. And I, I kind of look at him in a in, in a way that sounds weird, doesn't it? But okay. um, he was there beside me and and supporting me. So, and then my family. And in a spiritual way, we thought, you know, Scott and his team were there. We'd go through blankets of fog. I mean, it's really weird weather conditions out there. Mm -hmm. And we're talking like it looks like a wall of fog out there, a proper wall. And as you walk through, I remember one time where we were walking through and it felt like Scott and his team was coming back the other way. And we like nearly high five them, you know, it's really weird. Maybe that's my mind. You know, you have because you're absolutely exhausted. You have got to realize, at the end of the day, you are in your in your sleeping bag, and there was a time. This is going to sound a bit weird as well, <laughs> um, where I looked in the creases of the of the tents, and I saw Captain Scott in the creases of the tent. You know, I mean, that's probably psychosis. I'm probably exhausted. I'm mm. seeing things, um, I, but I had that moment, and and thereafter, every day, I looked at the tent to try and find him again. To he didn't turn up it was it was just at once but i think maybe i was just exhausted or was it there? I don't know. Spooky.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, obviously his initial trip was your inspiration behind doing the um, doing the expedition in the first place. Yeah. I'm interested to hear you refer to his diaries, actually, and the fact that you kept a diary throughout the course of things. Have you sort of gone back to that in after? And does it surprise you what you wrote at the time compared to sort of in hindsight, what it looks like to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I should have bought it today, really. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I meant to bring it um, along with me. But I haven't opened that diary for quite a few years, to be honest. Um, I wrote it. I mean, journaling is a very powerful thing to do. And I promote anyone to journal, you know, because you find, you know, um, ways that you're eating, sleeping, triggers, things like that, how you're Mm -hmm. feeling. So journaling generally is really good. On expeditions, it's amazing because we had Captain Scott's diary. And his diary was amazing, word for word. And then the next day, funny old thing, we're, we're in his, his, literally his footsteps, what he's written mm. the night before we would read. And then I'd keep my diary. Um, and he he kind of, the way he wrote, it kind of influenced me, I think, to the way I wrote uh, as well. And But I opened it up and on a Christmas, I think two Christmases after we'd be, come back. Mm. And it was quite upsetting, to be honest. It was, I got quite emotional. Mm. I had to close it and go, phew this is a bit much so but I only open up at certain times um yeah and it's 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 a powerful thing um because when I came back my father passed away and
2: stuff like that so it's a very emotional journey Mm -hmm. you mentioned fear of failure as a kind of motivator earlier and I'm intrigued by that because um I think there's a danger with fear of failure specifically, that it turns from being just fear, which is just a kind of um, very acute response to something, into anxiety about failure, if you like. Mm. And um, I'm interested in kind of your take on that sort of idea, because I think it's really important to approach failure as a very positive force and that fearing it is probably not the right sort of or not helpful if it turns into that anxiety
1: yeah fear can turn you know it's a stressor it's a targeted um threat isn't it you know fear and it creates this i call it the shaky person it initiates this flight fight response in Mm. in your body uh and we we fear we don't want to do it we don't want to step into these places that you know but sometimes it's worth taking that step, you know, and obviously risk versus gain um, and just being aware that fears there, but break the cycle of of, of fear. Um, I think sometimes and you'd be quite amazed, but it takes quite a lot for that step. But it's a, it's a huge motivator um, to, in a positive way, people fear it because and then it creates negative thoughts. It creates anxiety, all these effects on you, worry, when actually sometimes you just got to
2: take the, you know, bite the bullet and go for it. Um, Didn't we know that there's the, you know, from that sort of background, people say it's better to try and fail than to not try at all. Yeah. Um, But that seems to be missing a lot in a lot of kind of popular media where people are just told this idea of kind of, you know, it's all or nothing, Um, you know, you're a winner or a loser and everything's really binary and it's not like that because um, I would imagine that... um, along the way, you've experienced kind of moments where you have to um, effectively fail and then test and adjust and try something new.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you've got to be uncomfortable to be comfortable, um, as in training for that that eventuality, that stress moment. Um, and I, yeah, I think failure can really push you uh, to the limits um,
2: and drive you to, to do these things failure is experience and um, that's you know what you learn from and that's what helps you succeed I think um, somebody told me that they consider kind of surviving in the mountains to be a, a series of very close almost failures and yeah um, you know you over the course of years you develop skills by um, not quite failing so badly that you don't.
1: Yeah and, and, and I, you know I come from an organization where not always successful we learn from our lessons and i think sometimes by failing you actually learn a lot of lessons and pick yourself the, the ability to pick yourself back up shake yourself off learn from those experiences then drive yourself forward And then hopefully you're successful or you try again and then try again, you know. And I think that that takes a lot of courage, a lot of strength to do that. But you learn a lot of things, you know, from our childhood, from our failures in our childhood, from those exams to driving tests, to riding your bike and picking yourself back up, you know, we've done it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just so happens, I think as we grow older, we become a bit more fearful of the risks and the worry and being buffeted and, oh, hang on why why can't we you know so i think driving yourself through that learning from your failures your mistakes and then picking yourself back up i think confucius says something like you know it's better to get back up if you put back down mm. you know so there there's lessons to be learnt there yeah yeah fear is a very big uh motivator and we shouldn't be fearful of fear
2: mm. no yeah no, I think fear is good, but when it turns into dread and anxiety, then it becomes a really negative thing and it's something to watch out for, mm. I think. It's
0: when it turns into inaction, that's what we're really saying, isn't it? If it yeah. stops you from doing something, mm. then it's not useful at all. Whereas when it's a motivator, then it, like yeah. I said, it forces you to try new things or try things in a different way or something like that that actually is useful for pushing yourself forward. Yeah. Whereas it does often convert to inaction where actually I'm not going to bother trying at all because it might not turn out the way I expect it to. Yeah. Um, which isn't very useful.
1: You know the old adage: you never know unless you give it a go, yeah, exactly. um, and don't let fear stop you. But it's easier said than done. Yeah. You know, probably mm-hmm. the listeners out there are thinking, "Oh yeah, that's that's easy to say." You know, I'm I'm scared of heights and things like that. And, but actually, um, that creates anxiety and and, and mm-hmm. things. It's, it's not that easy. Or they might be fearful of, well, I don't know, snakes or or mm. whatever. Um, but I use a uh, uh, to for anxiety, for example. You know there's a, a bit of a model i use so you've got the bottom line is really um you've got inability to cope and then above that you've got a fear of danger if you've got those two together it creates anxiety mm-hmm. you know so the whole idea is if you can build on the bottom part as in your ability to cope
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's going to override the danger anxiety will still be there it's normal to have anxiety and that's going to help you hopefully override that anxiety and, and push yourself forward you know to, to you know to stand on a stage and talk it's normal to be nervous to have that shaky person inside you um but if you can build on you know your ways to cope it's going to help you you know as in know what you're talking about first of all that might help you know what i mean and you know, control your nerves and have ways and breathing techniques and all this type of stuff, you know, that's just an example, really. Mm -hmm. So we've gone from fear to anxiety there, but you you understand it. It's kind of similar, you know, negative thoughts as well can prevent us and they can spiral out of control and uh, really prevent us from doing what we want to do, you know? Um, So how do you get yourself from these negative thoughts? And I've had negative thoughts you mentioned earlier, you know, on my expeditions, you've just got to reverse your mindset you know, and I've had some—I um, call them sliding door moments—in my life where it, it's been so tough and difficult, um, and you've just got to kind of over, uh, try and overcome them. You know, and really bad times, really the negative mm-hmm. times, and try and turn it into a positive or learn from that and then move on.
0: Let's talk more about your. Let's talk about more your expedition to the North Pole. Then, so tell mm. us more. What? How did that came about? What was the purpose?
1: Yeah, came back from the South Pole quite exhausted. Um, One thing we haven't spoken about is really our partners, you know, and the support. uh, You know, I I had the support of my partner, and and having that support is very powerful. Uh, And off work, and friends and family who motivate you and help you. You know, I use an analogy called, uh, well, an acronym called Pesto. It's in my book. Uh, Having the perseverance, the effort, the support, the time, and opportunity that's the recipe to success. And one of those is support. Mm-hmm. You know, so I came back, I had to pay, my, my wife was heavily pregnant um, and then three weeks after I, I think I came back we had the birth of our child. Um, but her, her, her journey was totally different to my journey, you know, and the struggles she had back in the real world I mm-hmm. would say. Um, Was very difficult, you know. She kept her diary. I read it, it was totally different to mine. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then I came back, but I still had, I was exhausted. Took me six months to recover from that. I had no strength and had to build myself back up. Um, And people thought I'd been on holiday, you know, where you've been on holiday, you know, the banter and and all that business. And I just got back into it, but I, I still had this doubt of I still want to go back and do something again because I. You know the great white silence kind of lures you back, and um, although I loved Antarctica, I thought let's let's look, you know, maybe let's go north. And um, I spoke to one of the guys, and he was interested and came on board. So we hatched this kind of plan. I didn't tell my wife at this stage, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, that came later, and I kept. She kind of knew. They pick up on these things, you know, and uh, um, they worked. actually worked it out, but. Um, we then saw another guy went up and visited him, who had been to the North Pole. Because I think the key thing is, on all of this, is understanding understanding the environment, is uh, reading about it. Um, and this guy had been there, so we went and gate crashed his p- little party he was having, um, and we got an understanding from him. And actually, you know, he gave us a bit of an ultimatum as well. Said, "Look, can I come on your your expedition?" So we said, "Well, I like working in threes. Yeah, why not?" It's a bit longer story than that mm. but anyway he came on board and uh we had the three amigos as such and uh we started planning and hatching a plan towards the north pole but it wasn't easy because you've got to raise money uh, for these expeditions it takes time it takes perse- pesto perseverance mm-hmm. uh and we had some moments of real letdowns we had uh we had a, our patron, he, he sadly passed away, um, a guy called Henry Worsley. Mm-hmm. Um, we had huge setbacks, um, that ripple effects, you know, a loss of anyone. And, he, you know, Henry led the expedition to the South Pole and then he was our patron for the North Pole and then we lost him. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was devastating, you know. Um, so we had these moments trying to get the money. We couldn't get the money because people, you know, are not going to pay for my holiday. But to go to sponsors and say, look, we can do this and trying to, Say, look, this is our background. Well, we couldn't say our backgrounds and stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm and trying, and, you know, influence the part from their money and support us is really, really difficult. Um, and we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds here to go and do these crazy expeditions. And we were mad enough to go and do these things. And uh, we weren't getting much money. Mm-hmm. Um, so the money um, and everything else around us creates anxiety, loss of motivation, as well as, you know, juggling work life. Sure. Um, it, it, it just come fall by the wayside. And sadly, uh, one of the guys fell by the wayside. He said, Nah, this isn't going. And he went off and did his own uh, little expedition actually. Um, so, and it was just left with the two amigos. So I mm-hmm. had to get someone else. And we had another manager, uh, someone from the South Pole came on board uh, and we had the three. And So it is this whole journey. It took um, years. I mean, I'm saying we've gone back in 2012. And we didn't actually depart on the North Pole expedition until 2016. Wow! So um, it took four years of planning. Mm. Setbacks. Um, it's not easy. Um, so anyone thinking of planning a major expedition to the North Pole, <laughs> it's it's it takes a bit of work. That's your advice to um, them then. Start
0: start at least four years. Before but it's you not impossible. Want to go. You know,
1: there's some great places to visit out there in the whole world mm. that I haven't been visited. Mm just takes planning and preparation, and you will get setbacks. Having a plan, you know, is key, and I've said that at the very start.
0: Obviously, you've mentioned a few setbacks there, but what didn't you plan for? What was a surprise, or what couldn't you have possibly have planned for?
1: Basically, first of all, we were set back in the first year. We were going to go from Canada to the Geographic North Pole. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's about five North Poles, okay? And the Geographic North Pole is the, is the main one, which, you know, it, Expeditions and polar explorers want to go towards from the mm-hmm. coast to and be unsupported as best as possible or, or supported? Question mark. Um, so we went to Canadian logistics company and they said yes initially and then suddenly they pulled out in the first year because it was it was the ice is cracking there. You know it's mm-hmm. getting risky. They're not getting the money from people going there. So that was cancelled. So that was a setback and then we turned to the Russians and it was all looking quite good to the, by the Russians. but then our visas got uh, refused in 2000, well 2016, just before we were going. our group visa that and these UK political you know mm-hmm. ties weren't you know going very well at this stage. So they refused our visas uh, and that was a huge setback. and then we had the death of, of Henry, another setback. Mm-hmm. It was just all getting on top of us. Um, and we were you know uh, mourning, as well, mm. um, in a very sad place. Um, we had the money at this stage. It took four years to get this money, um, but we didn't have the green light to get out there. So that was, that was a huge setback. We didn't tell our sponsors that, um, but actually there was a turning point at, at Henry's funeral where we met a, a guy and he 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 was instrumental in linking up with a logistics company and helping us get to the uh, North Pole so you know there's sometimes there's glimmers of hope blessings in disguise however um you know don't don't just give up
2: you know how did you find the movement across the ice in the north pole or in the arctic compared to antarctica it's hugely challenging you know it's it's the arctic ocean
1: and it's moving around it's only you know a couple meters thick uh, and then you're in deep, deep ocean and it's spinning around as such. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it's not static. Um, so your compass kind of go, goes a bit crazy. So, and when you stop, you know, you've either got negative drift or positive drift. Um, and, you know, if you're going backwards or forwards, you know, well, luckily we're on positive drift. So we'd wake up in the morning, I'd check the GPS and actually we, we've travelled an extra, you know, mile. Which is a bonus, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's just sitting in a tent. So you can yeah. imagine it's moving all the time. Mm. And to get to the geographic North Pole, there's nothing there, you know. So, it, and everyone's geographic North Pole is different, you know, because of the Arctic Ocean. So, wherever I planted my flag? Five minutes later, if someone came, it would be different, you know. Not people, many people know that. So yeah. when we got there, eventually, we put the flag in and celebrated, set up our tent. The Russians were coming to pick us up, um, and. We had drifted, you know, over two miles in that period of time from two o'clock to seven o'clock in the evening, two miles, and they had to go and find us Mm. because we drifted that far away. So it's totally different to the Antarctic, where it's an island, you know, and it's ice thick, miles thick, Mm. you know, and Mm. you've got polar bears up in the north as well, where penguins down south, if no one knew that. (laughs) Um and it's a bit warmer up in the north and scarily warm, to be honest. We woke up one time in the tent, and that's why we were going there, and it was dripping. You know, in our tent it was melting, Yeah. you know, and, and that's not normal. And we were faced with water, which we had to kind of get over and cross. Um, and, and you could see the steam rising, you know, th- these are melting there. Um, so it's a very challenging environment. And you get it where, where ice flows crash together and build these big ice walls. Um, and you've got to get over them. And they're, they're, you see them about every 100, 200 metres. Mm. So it's like a, a battlement of, of of defenses you've got to get through to keep battling your way through. And it's exhausting. It saps your energy. The sun is our friend. But when the sun goes, and it went quite often, we were left in darkness, you know, and to navigate and get your way through, you can't see the depth and you're falling over. And it it can be quite challenging, even more challenging then. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's a a really tough,
2: um, I mean, really, really tough environment up there. So I've heard you describe sleeping in Antarctica, effectively on a snow bridge, from the sound of things, surrounded by holes um, that disappear into nothingness. Um, so, in comparison, would you which one would you say is a more sort of frightening environment? And it, you know, uh, how do you deal with the? fear that must accompany being in a place that has so many kind of intrinsic threats to your safety. Mm. They've all got risks in one way or another. You know, down
1: south it's crevasses, up north it's it's the fragile Arctic Ocean. You can hear it cracking. You know, mm. so when you set your, your tent up, you, you do lie there and you think, hang on, it could crack and we could fall through the you know, and it has happened to some explorers. Mm. Um, so you've always got that in your mind. My, my, my biggest worry, I think, was probably more up the north. Um, I I couldn't wait to leave the north, actually, um, because I felt it was just hugely risky. And this was in 2016, yet alone, you know, how many years have passed now Mm. um, to how dodgy it is up there now, I would say. It's it's melting. So there's more of a risk up north. The logistics company is very, you know, well, we were in the hands of the Russians there as a logistics company. God knows what's happening now. Um, But I don't think there's been any expeditions up around that area for the past well, since we've been there. So you know, I'm not saying we're going. we the last human beings to walk. Maybe we might be. You know, it might be just. That they are talking. It could just be boats traveling there because it's going to be water in the next, you know, ten years. Mm. It, it's scary. It really is scary, and we, we should open our eyes up to what's happening around us in the climate.
0: I quite like the metaphor of the shifting ice in the North Pole and obviously that relates just to everyday life. Nothing mm. ever stays still. So how have you applied the lessons that you learned there to kind of coming back to the real world? As you said, Civvy Street. How how does that uh how does that apply?
1: Yeah, I mean, coming back from these expeditions, you know, I write my diary, what I'm gonna do and the motivators when I come back, you know, and, and, and sort this out and sort that out. Because, you know, making a cup of tea in the Arctic isn't that easy. You gotta get the you gotta get the the ice. Well, if you're in the Arctic, you've got to get the top, you know, the bottom layer because the top layer is full of salt. Mm. Um, so you've got to get that. You've then got to boil it up Well, you've got to put your tent up, boil it up, you, you know, and it's not that easy. Whereas here in, in the in, you know, in our worlds, it's just a flick of a switch, you know, and the kettle's boiled, you know. Um, so I think coming back to that and and realizing how lucky we are with what we've got and being grateful for what we have. I think that was a key. That's a key thing. But Sadly, when I do come back and I, I adjust, you know, I then adjust back into the culture and what's been created, you know, and it's it's a bit doom and gloomy, really. You know, you put the TV on, there's, there's you know, what we're being faced with, what we've been told and stuff and what we're seeing in the world can really put us down, can't it, you know, and affect our mental health and... Mm-hmm. Um, so adjusting back and then, you know, we're approaching Christmas now and the chaos of Christmas here and people buying and, and it's not all about that, is it? You know, so I think there's you know, we've got to come to reality and just manage our own stresses and and sometimes just be grateful and, and wake up to what we've got around us. Um, and to do that, sometimes that's why I go out on these expeditions is to wake me up, you know, and be uncomfortable to be comfortable again, you know? Um, And it only takes six months and I'm back into the, you know, the Netflix binge or what have you. And I do do that every, you know, once in a while. Um, I don't mind that, but we've got to be careful. We can quite easily sit comfortably in our armchair and not go out the Mm -hmm. door, you know, when actually training, for example, for um, selection, you know, I had to go out in all those weathers to be uncomfortable for what I was going to face. You know, so sometimes we could have a motivator to get out and get out and about and enjoy the world and have the wind in your air and face the cold and and go, wow, okay, this is real and enjoy. You know, we learned a lot of lessons I think during COVID, mm-hmm. but sadly I don't think we have. So A lot of people have just carried on. Um, let's learn from those lessons um, about nature, about looking after ourselves, you know, looking after our health um, and and things like that. But we soon accelerate on in our in our journey and. And I think we miss some of the valuable things in, in life and ways to cope and deal with things.
0: Tell us more about what you're doing now.
1: Mm. Since leaving the military, I mean, I was <clears throat> set myself up for leaving. I think that's a key thing with, the, you know, if you leave an organisation like that from a long time, I mean, it's 35 years, you need to be prepared for when you leave. You know, so I was lucky that I was I was starting to get my ducks in a row, um, I had some great transferable skills, paramedic skills, um, physical paramedic skills. And I was already doing a bit of work kind of outside, um, setting my little business up. Uh, and, and it was working, you know, and and people were enjoying what I was delivering, training, consultancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and consultancy. And it took a step out. I realized this is where I want to go with these great skills. It's time to leave, which is difficult to do sometimes to leave an organization and move on. You know, 10% of veterans do struggle on leaving and I kind of knew my direction and what, what I wanted to do. It's not easy, don't get me wrong, you know, running your own business in the current climate is not easy. Um, but I'm enjoying it, it's rewarding. But I'm in now in the world of, uh, I deliver medical skills, but I deliver, most importantly, is mental health training consultancy. Mm-hmm. And that's an area which I'm really passionate about. Um, it's an area maybe we don't talk that much about it and coming from our sector, um, we don't talk about it that much. Um, I've seen colleagues sadly pass away and in their lives, you know, and um, so I want to, you know, already we're saving lives as a business. Business is called Excalibur Mental Health. um, And so we're doing some great things there. And then I've stepped out with what I'm doing kind of now under paulvickery.com and trying to help people reach their goals with resiliency, Um, Coaching. I'm a mental fitness coach, uh, performance coach, however you want to word it, to try and help people. You know, in a one-to-one or group, um, to get them to try and achieve their goals. You know, I'm fully qualified, experienced, as you've just heard there, uh, and just to help people in their daily lives, just to, to to do something and get out and break the mold. They might have a problem. So with my transferable skills of the mental health and, and coaching and it all, it all works quite well together, you know, and uh, I really enjoy it. And uh, it's challenging, but it's
2: also rewarding, yeah. Having completed all of these challenges and having done everything that you've done and now running your own businesses um, and working, you know, as a civilian, when is a good time to give up? Mm.
1: It's a good question. Not
2: necessarily for you, but when is giving up a good thing?
1: I think there comes a time when you do have to put your hands up, you know, uh, like for me leaving the military, you know, it, it was, I decided, you know, that there comes a point, you know, maybe you become ill or or sick or too old or you can't do this anymore, you know, and there comes a decision, a difficult decision maybe, to decide why, why? it's time to do something else, you know, and maybe hopefully you've been planning a bit before that, but illness and sickness happens sometimes, doesn't it? And it strikes us down um, to change our direction. Um, so there is times, you know, I, I, we've been talking about values and ethos driving us to do some great stuff, which is, which is, but it can also lead us in a negative way, you know, to drive us too far over the edge to burn out you know so we've got to be careful and aware of that so now since me leaving run my own business now i have i try and have work-life balance i spend time with my family as best as possible and i'm juggling everything but i'm, I'm in control of it you know I, I plan my you know my breaks my holidays you know and i know what i'm doing i look after my health uh, probably a lot more you know i go to the gym i've got a routine in the morning i, I haven't got it now in the military but I, i'm doing it in my own life and I'm, I'm in con- more in control of it, um, and it's rewarding. So I think work-life balance is 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 so so difficult, but we can we're in control of it. You know, it's not easy. Having a blend is even better. You know, where work-life blend, if you can
2: do that, I mean, wow, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I think it ties in with the what we were talking about with kind of the fear of failure and so on, which is that kind of giving up is perpetually presented as a very negative thing Mm. when in fact it shouldn't really be seen as that because giving up on something which is detrimental to you or that has a higher cost to benefit ratio that's a good thing giving up on something that's bad is a good thing so yeah making it into a positive again is kind of you know really key I think
1: it can be a very difficult decision Mm. you know but giving up can be for the benefit of the family benefit of your own health you know and saying look you know, and you hear of cases in the media where, you know, uh, politicians or people like that have to step down for their own mental health, you know. And, you know, sadly, we are seeing, you know, organisations like poor working conditions where people are going off sick because of stress and burnout. They've been pushed too far. That person goes and then it's left to the rest of the group, the team to pick that person's gone. Yep. And then they start to burn out, you know, and we're seeing all these people go from go sick from work. <laughs> you know, due to depression or stress and, and it's a whole problem. And we have seen all these strikes and because of mm-hmm. poor working conditions and it, it's, it's around us. So we got to, it takes even more now, I think, to look after our team, look after, you know, look, if you can look after yourself, you can look after your team. But sadly, I think some organisations out there aren't, look, they're more worried about keeping the lights on mm-hmm. than maybe looking after their staff. You know, and it's the staff that's the key thing to keeping an organization going.
2: But what you just said a minute ago is really interesting because you, um, you, if you take that negative label of giving up and you say, right, okay, we don't want to be negative, so let's make it positive, which is you're in control, which is a much better and productive way of approaching a decision, for example. Yeah. And yet that then carries with it a degree of personal responsibility and um, I think it's quite important that people who are kind of potentially finding things difficult, for example, understand that um, there's responsibility there to kind of um, address it. Mm. And it might not be easy. I'm not saying that it's, um, you know, something that's really simple for everyone. But I think it's something that's perhaps under discussed, that sort of taking responsibility for yourself is a key ingredient in my opinion and what do you think
1: No I agree I mean I come from an organ you know the special forces background is you're empowered within but you have set boundaries to work within you know you're empowered to go off and and create things with what resources you've got available you you have bosses you know um but you you can work within these boundaries and having the ability to do that I think is is powerful you know having autonomy and the ability but also having bosses who have empathy, but also compassion, you know, what I mean, and you'll get more than others rather than telling someone you will do this, do that, do that, you know, but you can do it in a different way, you know, and sometimes, you know, it's not about tearing medals, it's about just saying thank you and having, you know, being a good boss and saying, thank you, you've done a really good job there and rewarding them in another way, you know, that that gets so much out of the staff, you know, and we're not seeing that, you know, and I haven't seen that sometimes in my career. Um, which is quite quite sad really, you know from from the background I, I, I came from that we should have more empathy
2: uh, and you'll get a lot of your team. You've mentioned a uh, kind of absence of feedback um, as a, mm. a really interesting characteristic of your former career. Um, and I think that's very interesting because it's something that I think most people would find really weird, the idea of not having feedback to respond to. And Mm. so you're left with the assumption that what you're doing must therefore be okay, but no one's telling you everything's fine and well done and so on. Um, Do you think that creates and encourages resilience and sort of um, independence or do you find that it can be damaging?
1: Feedback is a gift. You know, I mean, and having feedback, I I like any type of feedback is great, positive or negative.
0: You're doing Um, great, Paul.
1: (laughs) And learning from, from that, you know, so... I, you know, during my training, I always put my feedback forms and I always read them and I always act on them, you know, but coming from an organisation where you don't get, you know, much feedback, sometimes it's good, but sometimes just be aware. I think it's nice to have some feedback sometimes because feedback can actually play. If you don't get it, you can play in your mind. Am I doing this right? Is this okay or what? And you just need a little bit of a nudge or influence in the right direction and say, you're doing a good job, well done, you know what I mean, and a little sit down, that one-to-one, you know, monthly one-to-one um, can help. And you can check on the person as well, how, how is their mental health and steer them in the right direction, um, a little bit of feedback, you know. You don't have to give, you know, loads of glorious, you know, blowing smoke up there, obvious. Yep. Um, but just enough, I think. But feedback is key. It is a gift, but at the right time it is important. Having no feedback, and and that's where I've come from, a bit of an organisation where you don't get much, it can play in your mind sometimes, uh, sometimes in a negative way.
0: Yeah, It doesn't give you an opportunity to learn and grow and change, does it? If you get nothing back at all, you've got no motivation then to make a change to the work that you're doing. So any feedback, positive or negative, is either going to push you more towards the right direction or away from something you shouldn't be doing.
1: Or it might be that you're doing a really good job. Just yeah. keep it going, yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's nice to hear that, mm. you know. Um, nothing is like that's a bit weird.
0: Have you got any practical tips then for organisations about sort of supporting staff? Talk to talk. You sort of mentioned some practical examples, but what your yeah. kind of top three things if you are advising us as to how we can support people?
1: Well, I think you know promoting a positive mental health culture for an organisation is vital. Mm-hmm. Um, having a mental health policy and action plan. Is, is key and a lot of organisations haven't, it's not legislated mm-hmm. at the moment to have, uh, for example, mental health first aiders in the workplace, but mm-hmm. having someone you can turn to who's experienced, qualified, where do you turn, where do people turn to if they're sick and not well, as in putting a mental health space mm-hmm. and and having that support and action plan because I think what we see is a lot of people go off sick and we never see them again, you know, because they're not threaded together or looked after, you know, and we're quite happy to say, yeah, well, I'll see you later. Well, and it's quite happy to boot people out of organisations. For example, you know, they've been taking drugs or or alcohol, you know, but we've never sat them down and actually got to the root cause of, why are you feeling like this? You know, what, why are you taking alcohol? I'm here to help you. We can get help for you. You know, rather than, right, zero tolerance, right, oh, out you go. Mm-hmm. You know, we might, we might actually retain people more if we actually... You know, do do that for example. So I think looking after your staff more, getting an understanding of why, you know, people might not be feeling well, you know, and we can do that through focus groups, surveys, you know, and then the benefits of of promoting a positive mental health culture, reduce sickness absence, you know, what I mean, um, attracting talent for that organization. You hear of organizations out there who are doing this totally wrong, you know, what I mean, and it, not, people aren't gonna go won't want to work for that organization. So they go to places where they are looking after their staff, you know? So the whole benefits of of promoting is is, is vital. That's my top tips is, is don't keep the lights on. Well, keep the lights on, keep your bottom line going, but look after your staff,
2: you know? And I've mentioned that before, mm. yeah. So just on that, you said um, sitting people down and, you know, finding out how things are and so on, um, which kind of brings me back to my Um, earlier question really but it's just about the kind of do you agree that people need to sort of engage with those processes because if I think about it from a kind of physical health and fitness perspective you have to start by doing the basics well which mean kind of turning up and being consistent and so on but I do understand that if people are kind of uh, you know struggling in particularly internally then if someone says to them are you okay it can be really difficult for people to say not really because mm. something's bugging me but it can also be even if they do kind of you know engage with the, that process it can be really difficult for them to then subsequently engage with anything that you know you kind of might try to do um and i'm interested you know kind of uh, if you've got ideas about um you know how you can break through that kind of I, I'd call it it's kind of like funk we were chatting last night and I was right. telling you it's like you kind of if you know you're in a bad space yeah if you have that kind of self-awareness I, I think it's a huge advantage because I know yeah. if I'm in a bad mood and then I kind of go oh right I'll just have to wait yeah. for it to go away but some people don't so you know it's it, it works both ways you know from
1: employer to employee uh, employee has got to invest in in you know, working within the boundaries and all that, but looking after themselves. This is the key thing is, is being able to look after themselves. Sadly, a lot of people don't know how to eat properly or, or exercise and they need education. So the first thing is education and education is key, you know, education in mental health, uh, education, look after themselves, having programs like that, you know, because if they can look after themselves, they can look after their team. You know, and that's something that I I promote and keeping everyone strong, you know, Uh, and then working within boundaries and having and then the boss is given the opportunities, the training, the education, you know, and allowing them. And if they are struggling, we need to sit down and maybe be able to help them and steer them in the right place um, and giving them some benefits in kind and helping them. Yeah. So I think there's two sides to this Um, as an employee is is looking after themselves and working for the boss as such working for those bosses mm. uh, within those guidelines you know attending the training and vice versa yeah, yeah it's, a it's, street, it's a two-way is really way street my point, you know, yeah uh, and uh, if you have that engagement that good rapport
2: and their influence and engaged mm. and you know you, you're in a winner yeah because it yeah. all comes back to the team you yeah know, the team working effectively together yeah. and then everybody's you know yeah. play into their strengths and addressing weaknesses, and that's really, really ideal. Um, yeah. I mean, you can have social events. I mean, Christmas is coming yeah, up. That's These it. are good
1: things, you know what I mean, for social, get to know your team and stuff like that. You yeah.
2: Know? So, yeah. You mentioned um, taking a layered approach to um, how you deal with stress. Um, could you elaborate more on that for us?
1: Yeah. So So stress is, well extreme pressures dealing with extreme pressures to be honest and I think stress has got bad press you know stress is there it's an emergency response is to respond to a threat you know it creates that fight flight freeze uh, and and it's there since caveman cave women days you know that saber-toothed tiger arrives and you've got to react you know and that's what it's there for and, and sadly what I, I think is happening is because of bad press, press you know we're, we're putting people into stress straight away we're being stressed out quite literally, where we should really train people up under pressure. Uh, Progressive pressure is the key, I think, answer to dealing with stress, you know. And and for me, for example, in my military career, you know, for facing the battlefield, which is a huge life stress, you know, when someone's shooting, shooting back at you, you know, you've got to train on the rangers shooting. You then maybe go into a building, you might turn out the lights, it might get filled with smoke, you know, you might have some good guys and bad guys, and you get the idea. But it's all progressive stresses, you know, and time on the range, time preparing your kit, drills, and skills. And then eventually, boom, I'm in a battlefield. We could call it your work battlefield, you know, and you, you get faced with a phone call or I'm faced with the enemy, mm-hmm. that threat, and you can deal with it, you know and then it's switched off. So it's there for an emergency response to react to, uh, and then you carry on. But if you're feeling stressed, you know, continuously, um, that's obviously not a good sign. And, you know, I'm in that world now of of talking about this, and it can lead to physical, mental health problems, you know, and that's sadly what we're seeing, is people are under stress, constant stress. You know, in the workplace, you hear stress burnout, you know, and, and those feelings of fight, flight, freeze are happening all the time, you know and the body doesn't know how to switch yourself off. So you so. mentioned
2: switching it off a minute ago and you kind of, uh, that's what allows you to add a layer is the experience followed by switching that experience off. Yeah, it's
1: good, so you, it's a really good point actually to reduce stress, you know, the, all the obvious things, you know, exercise, is having that time out, get away from the noise, you know, it could be what, you never know unless you give it a go, I'm doing yoga now, you know, breath work exercises, you could have meditation, Exercise is the biggest one, it's proven to work, you know, and other ways of coping, reading, um, even apps, you know, I use an app called Lumosity, for example, it just sharpens your mind, it takes you away, just from that space for that temporary time, you know, and then you're back into it. But if you're not taking those times out, those little
2: breathers, you know, or having your holidays, it's going to just build up and build up. And I imagine that part of the trick there for people is to try different things to figure out what works for them because you just mentioned, you know, it's easy to reel off. There's so many kind of options, but that doesn't mean they'll all work for you because people are different.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and with some of my training, I, I've I, we do some of these exercises. We call it Head, Heart, Hand. And we've had some people, they make doll's houses for, for charities and it's so rewarding. They're giving something and they're making something. That, you know, people... Um, vegetables, you know, in their allotments, and then they make, you know, they, they grow them and then they give them out to their family. You know, that's another way of rewarding gardening. I've had people saying cleaning is is therapeutic, is helping them, you know, in their house. Walking the dog, for example. So it's all these different ways, you know, th- think outside the box, maybe. You never know. You might have a talent. Learn a new skill. Learn to play the banjo or the trumpet or whatever. You know, learn a new language. Unlock part of your brain because it's not being used. So it, it just helps you and it might deal with stress as well. And you might enjoy it.
2: Yeah, and I think these things, that that message of kind of, yeah, the, you know, expose yourself to pressure, stress is good. Um, you know, it's a positive thing as long as you can switch it off um, yeah. so that you can recover. You can see this now kind of becoming um, more widely accepted in things like uh, physical performance areas. So... I was reading the other day about sprint training and mm. the new key to effective sprint training is very short bursts of sprinting followed by what they describe as luxurious rest, mm. which is completely contradictory to everything that I ever experienced in the military, which was just thrash yourself until you can't move anymore. Yeah, um, And then you kind of, you know, hear people saying stress plus rest is best and so on. And it's kind of just, understanding that you can't have the kind of grind set approach that is promoted in an awful lot of kind of social media content that's yep. out there where people are telling you or giving you the impression that unless you're up at 3 30 in the morning listening to audio books at five times normal speed then you're not going to win you know you're not going to have yeah. a successful life it's simply not true
1: no i i, I agree you know um you just got to be aware of your, your own stress levels like i said i just be careful using the word stress. Yeah. I, I would like to use more pressure mm-hmm. is, is put yourself or your team under pressure. Um, but be careful about when you put them under stress, you know. Uh, and I, I don't think that saying good stress, bad stress, there's an argument there. Right. Yeah, that's another debate. Um, but I, I th- it's there for an emergency reason. Um, so stress is good for an emergency. But o- other than that, you know, it, it's kind of bad, you know, because um, it, it initiates this whole response. You know, but there is times you need it, you know, on the sports field, in, in work, on the battlefield, and then it's gets switched off. Um, so yeah, you're totally, totally totally right. I mean, in a roundabout way, but just I think pressure. Pressure. Interesting. Yeah. That's my view.
0: So Paul, I'd love you to tell me more about the book that's recently been oh, published.
1: Yes. i have gonna mention the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so the book book is uh, Plan planned D. It came out in April twenty two. As soon as I left um officially left you know um i had my book in, in the waiting you know i couldn't write one you know it took five years to, to write actually um it was a tough call you know juggling anyone to write a book we've all got a book inside us, by the way and i'd encourage anyone to write it's it's very therapeutic and i find it therapeutic but i'm not sure my publisher was too too impressed and the amount of times it went to and forwards and stuff you know um, but the book is about all sorts of things, you know, helping people reach their own pole. It's mainly about. It's called Plan D, mm-hmm. where things didn't go to plan for the North Pole. Uh, there's a bit in there about climate change, but there's also bits in there about mental resilience. If anyone wants to go on an expedition, there's some top tips in there. Um, mental health is in there, you know, all sorts of things, you know, and also it starts with a, with a bit of the military, um, not too much for obvious reasons, uh, but then it, it blends into going to the South Pole there's successes from there there's extracts of my bit of my wife's dowry in there here on the other sides of things there's extracts from my dowry which i mentioned was quite mm. powerful um and quotes and things you know it's been um supported by uh ronald fines leveson woods put a nice little preface on there um there's nice pictures um <laughs> there's loads of information in there so um highly recommended and a donation goes to charity from the book as well so it's, and to be honest i don't get very little from these books but um it might just help someone and it's a nice christmas present you know yeah
0: what's next on the horizon for you
1: um so i'm now you know for my own little adrenaline kind of fix as well as running my business and stuff uh so i do some guiding um so i'm guiding i've got already planned for 2024 guiding um people to Annapurna and Everest base camp um, Himalaya expeditions so anyone's interested give me a shout um, and I mean that's the ultimate walk and talk that is to be honest if you've ever been up there it's, it's amazing um, so there's that in October November next year uh, in March I'm doing some guiding for the Polar Academy which is a, it's a great organization so I'm supporting them going out there so into Greenland um, and you never know what's on the horizon as well I'm juggling a few other bits and there's a, maybe a f- I've got a few expeditions left in me, so watch the space. I'm not going to give too much away, but uh, yeah, yeah, keep an eye out.
0: Excellent. We should look forward to uh, following your progress. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you once again to our wonderful guest today, Paul Vickery. Um, Paul, where can we find you online?
1: Uh, so, yeah, I've got uh, www.excalibur, uh That's my uh, mental health. So, that's my mental health company. And then www.paulvickery.com. That's my Paul Vickery side of things. So, like I said, the resiliency piece and what have you. So, I'm there. I'm on LinkedIn with both companies, Excalibur Mental Health and Paul Vickery. So, please follow me. I'd appreciate uh, All followers are great. You might just learn something. I might just help yourself or help your team. So, I'm here to help and support. Everyone out there. So give us a shout, look us up. Thank you.
0: So, whilst we spent today talking about epic Arctic adventures, at Victor's we believe that preparation and learning from all experiences is a key part of development and growth, both professionally and personally. Whether you're scaling the world's highest mountain or working towards a new professional milestone, both can seem equally intimidating, and we hope we've inspired you today that with a little planning and some courage, anything is achievable. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not subscribe, rate, or review wherever you're listening today
2: xsas polar explorer have you ever cheated in an exam hmm.
1: good question
2: um we all cheated in about <laughs> <them, that> reading <laughs> tests yeah preparation is key <laughs> here you know yeah, so preparing to prepare you know yeah. preparing to yeah. fail <laughs> Once so it you got it